Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you something, people. The big election is on Tuesday, and these advertisements are driving me crazy. It's all that's on TV. It's, I swear, it's like a joke I want to say. I want to watch political commercials, but Jeopardy kept cutting in. I'm trying to watch Jeopardy, every commercial. I just watched the Today Show. Every commercial is these political commercials. And the problem is their quality is just awful. And nobody says anything good. These politicians never say, here's what I'm going to do. They say stuff like in New Jersey, we have a guy named Bob Menendez running, who supposedly picked up hookers, 16-year-old hookers. And they say that. And one guy in Pennsylvania is sitting there saying how, you know, police are, police are, dogs are smarter than police. It's just crazy. I can't wait till it gets done because they're, they're on all the time. And the sad thing is, my friend has an eight-year-old, and he said every 30 seconds, his wife has to switch these commercials because they're talking about prostitutions and hookers. And it's nuts. Anyway, it's good to be back. I've been gone for a while. And uh, my last guest was Mark Valadez, who suggested me this uh, wonderful writer who's got a, has had a great career, and I guess sort of mentored Mark. And I'm calling him from, uh, he's across the pond, I guess we would say. And my guest is Eric Blakely. How you doing, Eric? Hey. I'm uh, thrilled to be across the pond. <laughs> I don't envy you guys in that political morass. We're just dealing with Brexit, that's all. We've got the junior political idiots. Well, it's just it's just crazy because, I mean, you grew up in this. Well, you, you were born here. And I know you moved to London when you were younger, I think, and then moved back. But it has it's just changed because we're in an age where there was TV ads, but it's not like every single second. Oh, yeah, it's, it's all gone off the deep end. I haven't watched commercial television probably since I was on it, so I, I, I can't comment on the political ads. I, I would lose my mind if I was being bombarded with them. Now, now you were born in New York, right? Yeah. Now, you were a musician first, is that true? And then, and then you got into writing? You've had a fascinating career, and it seems like you've, you've done very cool things, where one is playing music. And one is being a TV writer, and one is directing a movie. So it's sort of a career that people are very envious, and people in Hollywood are going, "Oh God, this guy can do it all." How did you? When did you start knowing you were creative? Oh, uh, when did I start knowing I was creative? I, I probably, uh, you know, sitting in my first day in kindergarten, staring out the window, imagining better scenarios than than existed in the classroom. Uh, you know, the fantasy life just just turned loose and it, it, it never stopped now so uh, yeah so the fa- the first fantasy was to be, was to be a musician which was my first love and that later uh, I came to this real my Salieri moment where I realized as good a musician as I was that I wasn't an elite musician and then I, I might be even better with words so I foolishly Switch and I, and I had this I had this ridiculous notion that um, I it used to drive me crazy being in bands and being at the mercy of a guitar player's you know bad temper or a you know a drummer's conflict whatever I thought you know I'm going to become a, a writer so that I'm totally in charge of my own fate and the joke was on me because I got the the, the worst committee of you know corporate network executives that would make you know recalcitrant guitarists you know seem like a dream so anyway now you, you played the did you play the bass is that what i heard yes yes um yeah that was uh that is my instrument and uh uh when i was 
17, I, uh, I, I got accepted to Juilliard, and I, I thought I'd go to London for two weeks and just check it out before I buckled down to some serious study. And uh, I was asked to join a band you know, like three weeks before I turned 18. And I, I, I just called my, my dad up and said, Dad, you don't have to worry about giving me tuition for a Juilliard. I'm not coming back. So I, I stayed for five years and played. And now, what was that like? I mean, what, what kind of music did you play? I'm sure the scene then must have been, I mean, it's always a great scene over there. But what was the scene? What were you guys playing? Well, I was playing, I started playing rock music. And then I really got into, you know, funk and soul music. So uh, it started with rock bands and then went, went to soul bands. I, I, was, uh, I got a job as a musical director and bass player for, for a kind of, British Jackson Five, like super low rent Jackson Five, called the Hippolytes. So we did a tour of the kind. It was kind of like a soul music spinal <laughs> tap, and uh, so uh, yeah. So I did both of those: rock music and soul music. Yeah. So you're playing, and now when did you decide to make the move to LA? Was there a, a definitive point, or did you just sit there and go, as you said, you were, you knew you weren't going to excel in music because you know you have to be so amazing. When did you decide that? I mean, what made you decide it, and why did you choose L.A.? Um, it, it was it was kind of a strange process, because I, I went back to New York for a little while, and I went in the dead of winter, and it was just, I just couldn't handle the cold. And I, I met somebody in, in uh, when I was in London, some American, and he said, yeah, I think you live in like Stockton, California. And he said, come on out. And uh, so you know, I, I just said, I can't handle the cold. So I came there, and I stayed in the Bay Area for a little while, and then and uh, just kind of like, you know, bumming around from from base gig to base gig. And then I just thought, you know what? California dreaming is all, you know, it's about the beach and the surf. And I, I just decided to go to L.A. and be, you know, a completely vapid and frivolous wastrel and, uh, you know, lift weights, and go to the beach and, get, you know, do, do that, do that whole thing. And um I was I was actually I went back to college and I was uh, I, I realized that, you know, my gift was with words and that I should uh, throw myself into figuring out how to how to form a proper sentence. Um, and uh, my best friend was a stuntman. And he said, you know, you're, I, my dream was to be a short story writer, uh, you know, idiotic. And. <laughs> My, my best friend said, hey, uh, you know, you're never going to pay your rent being a short story writer. He said, why don't you become a screenwriter and you can get, you know, get a big success and, you know, buy a cool pad in the Hollywood Hills like Errol Flynn. And uh, so we went to the movies that night. I, I don't remember what movie it was, but um, he just said, check it out. See if you think you could do it. So I looked at it. I kind of forget. You know, it was the first time I was very analytical about a movie. I, you know, I looked at, you know, each scenario and the way the story was was laid out. And I listened, especially because I was a musician, I really thought movies were about dialogue. So I listened to see if I had an ear for that, if I could feel the music of language, of spoken language. And, uh, I, you know, I came out of the movie theater and said, yeah, I could do that. And that's you know, the grand birth of a screenwriter. Well, it's funny, you know, when you try to write a screenplay, because I wrote one when I was in L.A., and everyone seems to write one. And it's changed yep. now. But back then, the formatting sucked. Like, we, I mean, I think I wrote mine on one of those old little brother uh, word processor that has the little top up top, and you had a disc that could save, like, four pages. 
but it was it must have been it was so hard back then. I mean, how did you find out how to write a screenplay? Because it's not like now you can go online. I mean, did you have to go to Samuel French and buy a copy of a screenplay and go, this is a formatting, or did you buy Sid Field's book, or how did you learn how to start formatting? I bought Sid Field's book. I took every class. Uh, you know, it's, it's Hollywood. There have always been screenwriting classes long before I showed up. And, uh, I, I, you know, I just uh, I studied everything about writing, just everything that I could. And uh, I read every every great script and uh, just absorbed everything. And I, 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 I was just I, I think for six months I just lived in my car and in the library um, at City College and just read scripts and, you know, used use the shower facilities there and just came out the other end like ready ready to write and i i just wrote one screenplay after another it was a different time i'm i don't think you could do it now the same way that i did it then i i really just kicked in the you know kicked in the door or 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 annoyed my way into every possible uh connection that you know i i'd some friend uh, i'd be at a party and somebody would say hey you know her uncle is uh, an agent uh, you know, go and talk to the person and just see if I can get introduced. And, and, you know, step by step, like each increment, you know, first I got, I got an agent, but no work. And then that guy, I wrote more scripts that got me another agent who, you know, got me an option for something. And, and it just, I just chipped away at it. But all this time I was uh, very concentrated on my craft. I had no idea of what it really takes to be successful in Hollywood. And, you know, when I give a talk now, I I kind of refocus. I'm 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 always happy to to discuss the craft of writing. I just I, I really dig it. And it gets very philosophical. And I think probably of all the screenwriting gurus, John Truby was the best of them because he was so philosophical at his core. Um, then we became great friends and we worked together on shows. Um, but one of the things now when I give a talk is, is I say really more than your craft to be a writer manage your career and that's that's the biggest you know advice i can possibly give so and best uh but in those days i just believe the only key to success was to become such a good writer that i couldn't be denied and that's all i did that's all i did was work on that and i was i was a pretty mediocre writer for a very long time even when i first started working and uh there were kind of some key moments where i, I had to, i had to raise my game in order to be where I wanted to be. And, and, uh, I did that and, and, you know, good things happened. Now, what was your first gig? You know, you got on the IMDB, you know, you said, you said you got an option, but for TV, you know, it says it was an equalizer. How did you transform into TV when you wanted to be a screenwriter? Was it something you just said, you know what, I have an opportunity. I want to make money. Or was it just something that you made a, a decision that was something that, stuck out to you that you said TV could be right for me? I wanted to make a living as a screenwriter and I had um, a spec screenplay that was a little bit hot at the time. It, you know, it was one of those things, uh, as so many of them almost get made, uh, so many of the good ones, it was a good script and somebody, uh, this new show was starting The Equalizer, yeah, and, and uh, somebody said, oh, you know, you know that kid's good let's bring him in so that was you know my first my first shot and um i i was totally unaware of the politics of the time i um 
I, I, I had a writing partner then, and we went in, and um, the story editor, uh, we, we didn't realize that there was a war between the two factions, the New York faction of the show and the L.A. faction of the show. So we were bored, uh, originally brought in by the L.A. guys, but the New York guys actually turned out to like us more. Um, so what happened was the L.A. story editor um, gave us this terrible note, which is, you know, the equalizer, somebody gets in, in trouble, they get involved in a crime, and then they, they go to the equalizer to bail them out. So this story editor said, you know, we're going to do something really cutting it and brilliant on on this show on your episode we're not going to show the crime the guy's just going to go back home and tell his wife what happened and we're arguing but this you know this this is this guy is above us so the script comes in and you know that it, it's it's got its moments but the truth of the matter is is it's a joke you can't it has no setup so the guys in New York got the script they kind of you know they kind of liked it but um uh, Woody Gould the great Woody Gould who um, he wrote the, the uh, John, Tom Cruise movie, Cocktail, and, and the novel. Uh, and he was an old newspaper man, and I think he just recognized something. And he rewrote the script, and we went to meet him in New York when they were shooting it. And, and he said, yeah, the script was, you know, you guys were really good, but what the fuck were you thinking leaving out the crime? <laughs> and we were like, uh, well, you know, that's what we were told to do. And he goes, oh, shit, you know, did so-and-so make you do that? He goes, okay, listen, you know, you were sabotage that was kind of my first first look at the you know the fact that uh, uh that that all writers weren't my brothers so you, you and uh, my first taste of the politics of, of television so did that sour so, yeah. you did that sour well, you on the it, scene or what you know i i it it, it it's it, it was a souring experience but it, the, the reality was you know the guy a woody gould kind of mentored me and he just said listen and, you know, it's a political game. And he says, I'm going to lose this battle. You know, he was like co-show running. He was the New York side. And he says, I'm just not a good enough politician, but you, you'll need to be. And I didn't realize how important that advice was at the time, because uh, I mean, uh, the politics of Hollywood were my perpetual downfall. I mean, I would always get in trouble. Uh, it was only the writing that ever kept me in there. Uh, you know, I, I did some really good writing uh, eventually, not not at the time of the equalizer and uh it, it it kept me alive for you know nearly 20 years in the business but it, it but i um I, I mean i would con continually uh play the play the political game wrong and 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 get my head chopped off only to you know find another way into you know into the court i always when, when i give one of my talks i always say when you come to hollywood you're coming to a royal court and you have to understand the protocols which which i believe wholeheartedly it really, truly is a royal court and i've never understood the protocols but i've always found you know every time i get thrown out of the castle i always find a side door and they said hey i'm a really good writer let me in they go oh yeah we need really good writers come on in and then, and then somebody somebody eventually finds out and go why did you let that guy back in <laughs> well, well you you wrote on moonlighting and that was that was early that was like i think the second season were you on that yeah yeah what was that like because i think i mean it that show blew up, but I don't know if until it blew up in the second or third season. But did you know that you were going onto a project that I've heard that the the set may could be a little bit difficult, or that may have been later? What was that like when you got in there? And and you know, Sybil Shepherd was 
a movie star from like Last Picture Show, I believe, who right. came to TV. What was that like coming into write in a in a situation like that? That was the darkest writers' room I had ever seen in my life. I was totally unprepared for. I I, I, I would have it would have been easier had Caligula come in, made me have sex with his horse, and then chuck my arms and legs off it was it was uh, a cesspool it was it was horrendous uh, again another situation where uh i'm taking direction from people who are fighting for their lives and um sabotaging a very cool uh, a very cool episode and 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 you know it was so early in my career i'd never been on staff i wasn't on that staff i was only a freelancer and um again you know another real realization that you know uh, the, the writers were not you know were not my uh, my brothers and sisters um it was very hard so there were a lot of those and they and they they, they caused me uh, tremendous pain at that point in my career but but with the, there was also this idea which was what the hell else you're gonna do for a living man you know you're, you're gonna go back to playing bass and playing holiday in lounges so it's just like you made your bed man you're in this and I just, I just kind of lowered my head, kept doing freelance episodes, um, and then I did a Cagney and Lacey, and it was, it was like walking into the summer of love. Uh, Jonathan Eskren and Shelley List ran Cagney and Lacey. They couldn't have been more welcoming or indulgent, and it was, uh, it was just. Uh, like unicornsville, uh, rainbows and, and flowers, and you know they, they uh, I was still you. Know, a, a fairly new, you know, Brad, and I'd, I'd actually been kind of poorly trained by these na nasty experiences, and they were just like, you know, just loving people and just, uh, oh, this kid's talented. We'll let him do this and that and help him do this, and that kind of I started to see that there, there in fact were brothers and sisters in the business because my, my, my first year or two in it, there were not. There were just, you know, treacherous trolls who, you know, looked glamorous, and and so that kind of gave me this eye. Uh, ideal model and uh you know to kind of strive toward but i i think it was just a, a brief moment in time i never i never again encountered that kind of welcoming atmosphere and that kind of supportive environment um and uh, after cagney and lacy uh let's see i did crime story at about the same time with michael mann and uh michael I, 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 we kind of always liked each other michael never liked my writing but everybody else seemed to so he kind of he kept me around i did a few episodes for them and uh but um so exacting and so fussy and he hated reading so he, he you know he'd started as a writer but he hated reading scripts which i i totally understand and um i just thought you know what i'm, I'm going to take a new approach to writing this was and at this point i'd split up with my partner and i i, I did one of the crime stories on my own and it was, I said, you know, you're going to approach every scene you write as a movie. It, it's just got to have an amazing beginning, middle and end and stand on its own. And I, I kind of used that and, and it, it jumped me up into, into the next level. And that, and, and, and Michael didn't like the script, but the network loved the script and they insist, they, they insist, he threw my script out and then the network said, uh, no, put Blakeney's script back in. So Michael got 
pissed at me and he didn't hire me again. But we we became friends later, because, you know, uh, down the road, uh, friendly anyway. You know, we'd say hello to each other and, you know, <laughs> breathe. Um, but um, but it was a breakthrough. And then I got hired on the show. Um, let's see. I did Max Headroom after that. And that was a a really exciting and you know inventive experience and I, I really wanted that job uh, but my friend couldn't get me on staff there and then i was offered this wise guy job and that blew it yeah that just blew up my career uh, i just uh uh you know i got nominated for it or got some mystery writers award and all kinds of stuff and uh uh the next thing i know i was uh, rescuing 21 jump street and they they put they made me the showrunner on jump street so uh um, you know, I was just, uh, I w wasn't, I mean, I succeeded upward, but I kind of, I was tripping and blundering the whole way because I never made one smart political move in, in my career. And I'm still, I'm still hoping to make a, a clever political move. But, uh, <laughs> well, why is, why is that? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You're shutting. No, sorry. Go ahead. No, wise guy was, uh, was a, was a great show that, I mean, had a great cast and a lot of people. I don't know if it was. I don't know if a lot of people watched it as much as it should have been watched. And it always bothers you when a show, you know, is really good and the great writing's great. What was it like working on a set that you said, you know, you felt like you were in your groove, and it was a very critically acclaimed show. What is that like as a writer? Is that like you're sitting there playing in the major leagues if you were a baseball player? Yeah, it's definitely like being in the major leagues. Uh, I'm the, you know, the other shows were also the main major leagues but this was this is getting the start in the major you know you know what i mean like i was a bench warmer on a major league team when i was on crime story and you know moonlighting you know but just you know i was a guy I was i was on the roster but you know i wasn't starting uh wise guy yeah you you're you're, you're on the yankees and you know you're playing you know you're playing right field or you know center field and, you know uh it's 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 a great thing um it got us a lot of it was it was also a political cesspool that show was was very very difficult um uh, the um there were games all the time and there was a it was kind of funny the guy who was uh the de facto showrunner uh was david burke and david had worked with me on crime story we were friends but we kind of uh, uh the rivalry between us and he was my boss but the rivalry became so intense now uh what's considered the probable the greatest uh you know arc in wise guy was the very first one with ray sharkey because uh and the, the movie donnie brasco was it, just note for a ripoff of that ray sharkey arc with uh um uh the sunny steelgrave character um that we did a two-parter david and uh, i uh which was the death of the demise of sunny steelgrave and that that just uh kind of was a game changer in television it really Really, you don't really get things like The Sopranos until, un, you know, until that happens. Uh, um, it was the first time in TV history that I know of that the bad guy was the hero. I mean, he was the, I always wrote Sonny Steelgrave as the good guy and the, the hero of the show, uh, Vinny Terranova, played by Ken Wall, as the betrayer. Uh, Sonny was pure and loved, loved, you know, uh, the Vinny character and Vinny was setting him up for to take him down um and that 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 just you know changed things by the late 90s you know johnny depp did did donnie brasco they repeated 
the exact same dynamic and uh, the whole bad guy as you know, as vulnerable human being was obviously done incredibly, you know, with Tony Soprano. So, so yeah, it was, it was amazing to be in, you know, it's, I, I don't know, it's like playing with, you know, you played with Chuck Berry, you know, the Beatles came out later, but you see, you know, and the Stones and everything, but you played in, you know, you were on Chuck Berry's thing, you know? So it was, it, it was like that. And it was great. I'm very grateful to have had that opportunity and it, it certainly elevated my writing uh david and i had a horrible rivalry but we brought out the best in each other i mean we're just like uh you know there was i, I not to compare us to lennon, lennon and mccartney but they used to do that one would write something very cool john lennon would write strawberry fields forever and then paul would feel like oh you know i gotta come back and he'd write penny lane and and david and i were, were definitely doing that on the show and everybody else was kind of I don't know, kind of pushed off to the side as the, the, the two latest Hollywood brats just dueled with each other to make uh, some amazing television. And we did. Yeah. What was it like working with Ray Sharkey? Uh, I loved Ray. Uh, we, we became great pals. Um, we did a pilot together. Uh, when, I, when I left uh, Jump Street, um, which would be like a, a year or two, maybe two years after I did Wise Guy. Uh, we, we did a pilot together. The, the pilot that I pitched was, I, I pitched The Shield. I was, uh, before, you know, 15 years before The Shield. I was trying to do, uh, a, you know, a corrupt a corrupt cop. And I wanted Ray Sharkey to be that. And the networks, you know, they, they have sponsors. They just wouldn't let you do that. And that was that was probably... The hardest part of my career was was realizing where television was eventually going to go and that it was going to be about doing bad guys. And I kept doing pilots about bad guys that everybody loved um, one after another. And uh, but but the networks wouldn't put them on the air. It just, they just said, we can't you know, we can't glorify a bad guy. We'll lose all our sponsors. But Ray was was brilliant. Loved you know, loved working with him. He 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 was true artist um and you know a tragic figure in his personal life um but you know i i i got into the business be, you know because I'm, I'm you know an arty creative type and that's what i gravitate towards you know crazy people who, who are very inventive now 21 Drum Street, you were brought in to show run it. Now, you had never run a show before, so was that something that it was a big jump for you? Or, I mean, how did you transition into that? Um, I, well, I was, I was good friends with the showrunner. We used to, you know, go out drinking together, and he, had, he created the show, Patrick, and he was, he was at the end of the second season, and, um, he got a really bad script from one of his staff members and the network. Don't forget, this was the number one show on Fox. This made the Fox network. Um, and um, they, the network would not accept the script. It was that bad. And he, he, he was in the middle of a, 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 a very personal tribulation. He was, he was having a breakdown and he came into my office. You know, and he was always very funny. He goes, Blakeney, the network's going to shut me down. And I was like, no, don't be ridiculous. You got their number one show. They can't do that. And he said, dude, he said, I, 
I got five episodes left in the season and I'm, I'm, I'm losing it. He says, I don't want to put any pressure on you, buddy, but if you don't take over these five episodes, I'm jumping out your window right <laughs> now. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, Patrick, the windows don't open, but that's okay. Uh, I, 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 I agreed to do it. And I rewrote that script. It would, it was already cast and pre it was, it, it already been prepped. They were about to shoot in three days. I rewrote the script uh in th in two days and it, it was uh it, it was just you know magical I, everybody flipped out the network uh uh you know they were dancing so i had it, it was kind of this just just dumb luck i was just I, that was really being in the right place at the right time but also having the skills um i i really was coming into my own as a writer and i realized how to how to take this really shitty revenge episode and to and, and to give it some thematic depth. And so I, you know, I, I reached into my bag of tricks and I, I, I pulled some cool stuff off and everybody went, went crazy. So at the end of the season, um, so I did that with the rest. I, you know, the, 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 uh, I took over the, 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 the last five episodes, the writing and, you know, and kind of overseeing them. And uh, it was, we went out with a real bang and Patrick's contract was up and he, he left, go to to a deal at disney so uh you know they were talking about uh well we've we've got we need a showrunner and uh the president of the company was peter roth and he was my great champion and protector and he said listen i, I you know i believe this kid can do it uh he did he already he just demonstrated that he can he won't and he was able to convince the money guys he said he won't cost anything we've got him on, we've got him under contract very cheaply so uh, they gave me the show and it was kind of one of those weird things where uh, he said, we can't give you the title executive producer. You'll be the supervising producer, but you'll be the executive producer's boss. I said, wait a minute. So I'm going to come in. I'm going to be the vice president uh, and I'm going to be the president's boss. They said, yeah, you're going to run the show. And they said, but for political reasons, actually, what they told me was because David Burke hadn't been given that title yet. They said it will create too much trouble if we get you the title that, that we haven't given him yet so just be a good soldier i said sure i don't mind i'll be vice president and i'll be the boss of the press i was like the first dick cheney <laughs> <laughs> so i i ran the, i ran the show and uh and it was you know it was amazing it was incredibly difficult there was a right a five month writer's strike i took the long but then cannell would not uh take a short or everybody in hollywood took a short season because they didn't have time to prep I shot 24 episodes. By the time we finished that year, uh, I didn't have any words left. I'd go to a dinner party. My, you know, my wife would take me to a dinner party with friends, and my, I'd be like drooling down my shirt. You know, somebody, everybody was expecting me to make all this witty conversations, and I'd, I'd be like, "Oh, pass, pass salt, please." You know. So, so that show. But now, then you created Booker. How did that come about? I know it's so funny. I remember when a Greco showed up on 21 Jump Street. You know, all the girls were like, oh, who's this guy? But, you know, no one ever really thought there'd be a spinoff. But did they just, because he was so liked in the first season, is that what happened? And then they came to you and said, create the show for his character? Well, um, wow, that's another big political cesspool. Uh, I, I've been really, he blew up. We brought him on the show. I, I felt that the show was a little bit boring. Uh, in that all the, you know, they, uh, they were all kind of just, just nice. So I wanted to 
bring in like a bad boy, you know, a Mickey Rourke type, you know, when Mickey Rourke looked, you know, like a handsome human being. Um, and uh, so I brought Greco on to Jump Street and uh, Johnny Depp wanted to leave the show, but he didn't want another, you know, another handsome boy on the show to take, you know, to take over form so johnny and i had been good pals uh we used to play a lot of music together and do our fair share of drinking together but once i brought greco on i think he felt a little betrayed by me and um so that turned into a, a very difficult scene uh so we had a lot of problems with johnny uh who who wanted to go do movies but also was very angry that we brought in another you know sexy boy and greco just blew up his his billboards everywhere it, you know he he was as big as Johnny Depp that year. And so at the end of the season, um, uh, Barry Diller came. He, they wanted to, get, to give me my own show. They were so pleased with the way I'd run Jump Street. They just said, you know, and I was anointed. I was going to be the next god of television and show you how well I handled it. In any case, um, what what they originally asked me to do was Barry Diller had this idea that he wanted to do a TV series about kids in Beverly Hills High School, which became Beverly Hills 9021. So they came to me first and asked me to do it. And I said, no fucking way. I am. I do not want anything to do with kids in high school anymore. And I don't want to deal with Beverly Hills brats, especially. So I said, count me out. <laughs> so then 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 Barry Diller said, well, would you do a show uh, like a rock and roll detective? I said, yeah, I'd rather do that than Beverly, kids in Beverly Hills High School. So they said, well, why don't we do it as a spinoff for Richard Grieco? And I said, yeah. So I came up with this idea and it was it was a pre-twin peaks it was the it was a detective show based on the uh, this this idea that 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 the suburbs are dangerous and that's where the real madness in america is not you know not on the the dirty streets of the city but in fact you know in all those bedroom communities so i i i just came up with this crazy this crazy thing that was slightly twin peaksy about i don't know a year or two before uh, twin peaks came out and um i got fired i was the hottest writer in television and they fired me from my own show so that was the booker so you get you get fired so then what, what are you what are you thinking are you just thinking you know hollywood is bullshit i mean you have to be frustrated because you're the hottest guy around you, you saved 21 jump street per se you got the spinoff i mean what do you do as a writer at that point well i i that point i had tremendous heat so i made a I, I had a lot of people fighting for me to make an overall deal to create shows so i was like hey you know what i'm, I'm gonna go i'm gonna go with a cool company and i'll get paid you know a, a, a giant amount of money and uh you know i'll play with my kids while i write pilots and i'll see so i had this idea that i'm gonna do something amazing i'm gonna be the first guy to do a television series about a bad guy so uh, I, I, I made um, multiple deals, but I made a big overall deal. First, I did a pilot for Ray Sharkey at ABC, uh, uh, which um, we couldn't we couldn't get on the on the air. It was about you know a, a corrupt cop who was you know thrown off the force kind of thing. Then um, I had I had a few pilot commitments at ABC, so I did. Um, uh, they everybody was just like, "What do you want to do, Eric? What do you want to?" Which doesn't mean what do you want to do, Eric? They, they just—it just means that's what we have to say to you. Uh, what they wanted me to do was another Twenty One Jump Street, you know, cute kids and 
you know, hot, sexy young cops, which is exactly what I didn't want to do. I, I thought, and all I did was I went into every meeting and said, let me do, let me do a show about a bad guy. That's going to be the next, next thing. And I would, yeah, so I, I, I kind of wasted all my heat writing these amazing pilots one after another about bad guys. And, uh, you know, that the next thing, you know, I wasn't the hottest writer in Hollywood anymore. And I was you know, still, you know, getting getting deals here and there. And uh, I decided to uh, I did. I, I, I got a, a brief job co-running uh, this show called VR5. Um, with Laurie Singer, who was great. She was really lovely to work with uh, and stepped in, you know, an, another another kind of political nightmare. Eric. And uh, at that point, I just, I, you know, I said to what I said, you know what, I'm done doing TV. Let's I'm going to try to do movies. Let's move up. We had a little house on a vineyard. We sold the house in LA. And we moved up to up to the vineyard. And uh, I started doing movies and I started, you know, rewriting some films. And, you know, I did a couple of a couple of uh, TV movies. And then uh, uh, I optioned a script, uh, a thriller to Lumiere. At the same time, I was offered uh, uh, a job going to Australia and working on Mad Max Fury Road. So that gave me a tremendous amount of heat. Um, so I was able to turn, parlay that into uh, writing. I, I got a big deal when I came back. I, I wrote a, a, a spec script for this movie that I wrote and directed called Gunshy. And so when I came back to town from Australia, I had the hottest spec feature and I, and, and I had heat. So um, I turned that into a two-picture deal at Warner Brothers. Uh, one of the one of the uh, one of the pictures I wrote was a book adaptation for Sandra Bullock, where uh, she never made it, but it was about kind of a nurse who kind of uh, falls in love with a Unabomber guy who's locked in her ward. And uh, it started a really good relationship with Warner Brothers and Sandra Bullock. And um, I, uh, I had the super hot script gun shy, but I was insisting that I direct it. And uh, a lot of studios tried to buy it to give to big directors. And eventually I just found a way, uh, well, really with Sandra Bullock's help, uh, to to direct it myself. Now, and that was, yeah. I was going to say the directing part. Now, did, is it just something that, had you wanted to start directing, you know, back in your TV days? Or was this something, because it's a difference between directing a TV show and, and a movie. And, you know, it's, I mean, people who don't aren't in the business don't understand that. Directing, especially when you write it, you're taking on such a big, big responsibility and 18, 19 hour days. What made you want to direct it? It's because you wanted to control your vision. Yeah, I think I wanted to make sure that I could get it as close to what my vision was as possible. I had no. Oh, uh, I obviously, as a showrunner, I've been on set with a lot of direct. I've had to I'd had to direct over director's shoulders. I had to recut their, you know, their their material when. They when they you know screwed it up, uh, so there was there was a lot of rescuing directors, and I just thought you know what I'm going to give this a shot. I want to see if I can get this thing as close to you know as possible and uh, to my vision. And um, I was curious to see how much uh, you know how much uh, I would enjoy it, and I loved it. The directing itself. Now, there's probably nothing harder than uh, politically than p the post production process on a studio feature. Uh, it, uh, I mean, it made television seem relatively tame, uh, but the actual directing itself, working with the actors and, and uh, 
you know, and the, the cinematographers and the production designer, everybody. I loved it. I loved every second of it. And I wished I'd, I wished I'd done more of it. Eric? Yep. Okay. I know you cut out for a second. Um, so no, it's not, it's not your fault. So, so you enjoyed the experience. Now you worked with, uh, it was Liam Nielsen and it was Sandra Bullock. Now Liam wasn't the huge name yet, but did you know that he was going to become this huge star? Uh, well, he was still, he was a pretty big star then. Um, and he just signed to play Qui-Gon Jim in the, you know, in the star Wars movie. And, uh, so, yeah, I mean, he, he, he was, he was, not he hadn't done Taken, which was his big action movie. Uh, so he didn't have a franchise on, under his belt. But you know he'd been in the running to play James Bond. Uh, he, uh, um, no, I didn't. I you know he was he was just considered a quality actor, and uh, he was just really game to do a comedy, and and was completely dedicated to his craft. I just we really hit it off. I loved working with him. We we had a magical time on set. We uh, he and Oliver Platt just adored each other, and we just spent most of the time giggling. Really, he re rehearsed very hard uh, before the shoot. Just Liam and I at my kitchen table reading every night as as he kind of found the music of his character and you know wanted to really understand every every moment that he was going through. And uh, he 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 gave an amazing performance. Uh, I don't think I don't think audiences ever really wanted to see him as a vulnerable, you know, comic figure. But um, but he was great in it. Now, after that movie, you know, when then what what do you, what's your direction after that? I mean, did you have more directing offers or what happened? I did have a few directing offers. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I got, I got, I was burned out on the business. I, I, um, I just had to leave, I, I had to leave the, you know, the, the business and, and the States and, and just, uh, go find, uh, uh, other ways to, to satisfy myself creatively and emotionally. So I kind of stepped away from a while and I, I mean, I fell into, I, I, I still, I, you know, I doctor scripts and I, I, um, uh, I still keep my hand in it, but, uh, um, I really, I couldn't play, I couldn't play Hollywood anymore. I just couldn't, couldn't do it. Well, that happens to a lot of people. I think a lot of people, you know, it is a, it is a really a wear and tear and a, and a grind. And I think for writers, you know, I mean, as you said, you know, you're writing all these, uh, pilots, you know, I had Jeff Astroff on my show who just came out with the great show trial and error, which he had, he couldn't get it made on his own. And he said the same thing where it's yeah. these, these, the networks, they don't want, even though it's great work, they tell you, oh, this is great, but we want this. And as a writer who is yep. established like you were, it must really suck because that'd be like you being a, a scientist for a company for 20 years and solving all things and go, hey, I got this inventive uh, inventive system that's going to cure cancer. And them going, well, you know what? Maybe we don't. Maybe we don't want that. Oh, yeah, it's 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 sold as trying i mean you re, you really when, when you're doing amazing work you know it's uh, you, uh I, don't know, I just can imagine what nikola tesla must have felt like you know with dealing with with guys like edison and just saying listen you know i know what to do with this electricity thing let's shoot it over here uh, uh 
um, that's pretty grandiose comparing myself to Tesla. But in any case, the frustration of being being very creative and, 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 and being at the top of your game and seeing things that you know are going to work and having the guys in the suits who are mostly cowards, you know, they're, they're, they're corporate guys. They're trying to they're they're only uh, political no matter how much they say, oh, you know, they they feel an incredible bond with the creative people. They're just, you know, they're not telling the truth. You know, they, they, they have to say that they have to make those relationships with creative people. Uh, it was uh, it was something I, I, I never had the ability to really juggle. Uh, I was really fortunate that that one of the guys in the suits, Peter Roth, uh, um, w- was my champion for a while. I think. I think in, for many reasons, I, I, his, I, I think his father was a publisher. And I, I think that household, you know, he, even though, you know, he went the business route, I think there was a respect for the written word in Peter's house. Um, and he, he brought that into, into the meeting. So, so, yes, you know, it's not that they were all Nazis, but, you know, the majority of them were certainly, you know, cowardly people and uh, um, never really be uh ready to 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 open the doors of of creativity and and, you know let the uh let the creative people uh uh bring their dreams to the you know to the tv screen although they're forced to do it i mean i think tv has been amazing for the last i don't since it's sopranos really i i think the i think um hbo and all the other cable services and uh i think uh the streaming services have have opened up the ability to just to just be as mad as 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 you care you care to be and inventive um it's it's still from what i understand incredibly political but but it's it's be it become beautifully inventive i i love a tremendous work being done i mean mad men was 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 brilliant you know uh that tv series rome was like the greatest thing i've ever seen on television i just loved it um um, so yeah, it was just unfortunately for me, there were four networks when I was doing it, uh, and even though I saw that we were going to that the, the cre- creatively we needed to give that to an audience, it was it was a little bit too soon. That's all. That's all that really happened. Now, why did you choose London? Well, I came here when I was a, a young lad. I've always had an. This is kind of a city that's always been good to me, and. Uh, um, I didn't come here first. Uh, we went when, when we left uh, California, uh, moved to Spain for a few years and kind of back and forth. And, uh, um, I wound up, I, I, I moved to, I moved to Belgrade. I, I co-authored three metaphysical books by this, for this, uh, kind of, uh, Rasputin kind of dude back, back there, which was one of the most creatively challenging and, and mind experiences experiences as a writer um and then um then I, I i i moved to portugal for a while and just kind of gravitated toward uh toward uh, my people here in london so i'm here i'm here now yeah now what do you do with your free time there now i mean i know you said you were doing a podcast you come up and i know you speak to people but what do you do with your free time in london like what's 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 a, a week for like an eric blakeney week <laughs> Well, I am involved in a crazy venture, uh, which is um, an, an online 
movie studio uh, called the People's Republic of Movies uh, that is based on social capitalism and uh, um, cooperative uh, ownership so that everybody who works on a movie owns a piece of the movie. I'm, I, uh, this is, you know, my, my, uh, my latest windmill that I'm tilting at, which is I, I want to see, I, I think everybody is really uh, seeing the flaws in a predatory capitalist system where we're all competitors to each other. And I think, I think there's a generation of people that, that see the value of, of, of uh, collaboration. And uh, I, I think that's where our, our, our wealth lies. Look, uh, being on staff, you know, in 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 television, uh, we were always kind of set against each other. But we, it, so our our survival, you know, was very Darwinian and 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 predatory. And yet, we did our greatest work when we collaborated with each other. David and I may uh, on on uh, Burke and I may have been the great, you know, blood rivals on Wise Guy. But the truth of the matter. This is when he, he and I would go out for a beer and talk about how we were going to plan, you know, the, the demise of the Sonny Steelgrave character. There's nothing on earth quite like it. And we would not have done it without collaborating with each other. As good as each of us were, we weren't going to do, do it as well as we did it together. So I'm trying to get I've got a lot of people who really love this here and are, are hoping that I can I can find a way to kind of remake a production company that um, that can uh, both uh, be fulfilling and give people equi equitable shares in, in, in their work. Um, and I'm also trying, we've also got a really fantastic way to protect investors from Hollywood accounting using the blockchain to track all the revenues. So it's a, it's a very grandiose concept. And um, that is how I'm spending most of my time in London these days. That's awesome. It's good. You're, at least you're you're still being creative, and that's what's good. You bet. Well, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. This was great. As I said, you know, you've had a prolific oh. thing at work. I wish, you know, I wish people could go back. I don't know if Wise Guy is on Netflix, but I wish people could go back and watch that because it was such a good show. And you know, Ray passed away, and Ken Wall pretty much disappeared. It's very odd. And I believe was Jonathan Price on that show. Yes, he was. Who people you may know as Mike, people in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. So it's an amazing cast. But sure. for you, it must have been just great to be able to, you know, have these people who are so talented bring your words to life. It was. It was It was brilliant. And, and you know, it's funny. It was a very inconsistent show. So we, we'd fall on our faces a lot, but we also reached amazing heights. So, yeah, I was... Uh, absolutely fantastic to be involved in it. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time. So people go to IMDb, check out Eric Blakeney, go back, see his work, go watch his shows, you know, and then you'll something, you'll know what happened. You're like, Oh, okay, wait, there's 21 jump street. John, Johnny Depp's pissed at Richard Rico. Uh, go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can follow me there. Uh, you can follow me at Twitter. I have over 700 episodes on coopertalk.net. Email me, cooper, coopertalk.net. And don't forget my other site, StopTheSalt.com. When, when I went through that health problem six years ago, I wrote a cookbook. It's 120 low-sodium recipes for one. Easy to make, no pictures to intimidate you. You can get it at Amazon or you can get it at StopTheSalt.com. I make more money if you get it at StopTheSalt.com. So people, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next week.